Oh, should we start this show? Yeah, I'm down. Just buying a car in Carvana first. Ooh, for real? Yeah, it's super convenient. I already got pre-qualified in two minutes. All I had to do is answer a few questions. Ooh, that's helpful. And now just customizing my down and monthly payments. Ooh, that's a very fair deal. Yep. Boom. Just bought a car. And you get to take me to the Carvana vending machine in a couple days to pick it up. Ooh. I'm kind of busy. Visit Carvana.com to finance your next car. Financing subject to credit approval. With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi, stay connected wherever you go and transform your vehicle into a dependable Wi-Fi hotspot. Powering applications like real-time GPS and voice assistant, navigation becomes a breeze. Even on the practice field, AT&T in-car Wi-Fi keeps you connected while in proximity of your vehicle. Work, stream shows, or finish homework without missing a beat. See if you're eligible for a free trial at att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi. Don't let connectivity be a roadblock in your journey. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. My days working and taking care of my little ones can be a lot. I checked out care.com and it was so easy for me to find local, experienced, and background check sitters. Finding our babysitter was way more affordable than I thought. Care.com makes it super easy. Search for qualified candidates. You can view their profiles, read reviews and ratings, check their availability, send messages directly, get the help that you need. Care.com should be every person's go-to. Hey, warmer from below. Welcome to Lovey Las Vegas for Go to Guess with myself, Greg Hughes Peterson. Now part of the Beast and Family Podcast, we've got an excellent podcast for you. We're going to be joined in segment number two by Matt Josephs. You know him better as Ben Major Matt. Going to be taking a look at what he's all seen thus far this season in college basketball in terms of a few teams that he's feeling a little bit bullish and bearish on. Certainly have to be taking a look at some of these teams out there in the Atlantic 10. He's a man based out there in Richmond, Virginia. That's home of VCU. We saw them get a few pieces back. They looked very solid on Saturday. And from there, we're going to be diving into some of these great matchups that we do have for Sunday. So going to have a good chat there in segment number two. Here to lead things off, we're going to recap what we all saw in college basketball on Saturday, find some trends, and get to know these teams a little bit better. And then we wrap things up getting you guys picks and analysis for the final time in 2023 as we had some bank shots. That's the final time of 2023. No days will be missed on this college basketball podcast, and it's it is New Year's Eve. So hopefully you all had a great 2023, and let's look to make it even better in 2024. We always want to improve, so... Hopefully everything is going well for you. Hopefully this last day of the year and the first day of 2024 can be spent with some good food, some friends, some family, and we've got you guys covered with regards to taking a look at these games. And if you do have a question, comment, segment idea, what I have before this podcast, you do have one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter slash X timeline at Jaden underscore D1. Keep in mind, letters M, they mean does not matter. So as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. And the other way is via an Apple podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you are able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five star review. Really didn't get in any Twitter slash X questions today, but had a fun day of college basketball on Saturday. Let's take a look back at it, try to find some trends, and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A game from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the Rowdy Recap. In terms of top 25 action, Marquette versus Creighton was really your most rambunctious game, and Marquette got it done 72-67. to Apparently Shaka Smart likes to try to close out on three-point shooters as well. If you saw that during the game, that was pretty ridiculous to say the least, but for Marquette, they were able to do a solid job defensively, holding Creighton going 12 of 32 from three-point range, and from two-point range, you saw Creighton actually go 13 of 23, because 
Green had 18 turnovers in this game. Marquette was a little bit sloppy themselves with 13 turnovers, but the most shocking part of this game, I felt, was Marquette really dominating on the glass. 42-32, they win the rebound battle. Also, Ogadero only 7 points, but 16 rebounds, a little bit of assistance with Shaka Smart. You had Marquette be able to cover the 4, and they were able to get it done. Houston, they just continue to pummel teams as a big, giant favorite. 81 to 42 is the final. Yeah, one or two games that landed relatively close to the spread, like to that Jackson State game. I still remember the opening number and the closing number. That's a little bit up for debate, but pretty much any game in which Houston has been laying north of 30 points, I think that they might have had an on cover against Texas A&M Commerce, but past that, they've been able to cover all these games, I should say, more like north of 20 because Penn was more of a 27.5-point underdog in this one, but for Houston, they go 7-16 to from three-point range. They completely pummeled this Penn team. 22 turnovers to 14 made baskets. Meanwhile, Houston, just seven turnovers. They were able to win the rebound battle by a count of 42 to 28. And for Houston, you had Jamal Shedd once again be so surgical, helping find guys in space as he had a bunch of wide open looks for Houston. They get it done once again. Kansas with a big statement. They've been a little bit rocky against the spread thus far this season, but they really laid it on Wichita State. This by kind of 86 to 67, and for Kansas, you had the main suspects really come to the forefront. Hunter Dickinson, 22 points, 13 rebounds. KJ Adams, 11 boards of his own, but it was nice to see Jackson Furphy coming off the bench. Be able to give you seven points. Did only go one of five from three, but he's getting more involved in the offense. I think that that's very big. You did not get anything whatsoever out of Nicholas Timberlake. He had three fouls and zero points, so that's still a little bit of a concern, but also being able to get 12 points out of El Marco Jackson I thought was a really good sign, and for Wichita State, they were just timing 4 of 20 from three-point range. They lose the turnover battle 15-8. to eight. They lose the rebound battle 48-38, to 38. so some nice thorough domination there. Another team that's been dominating... BYU, they are now 11-2 against the spread, 94-68. They completely take it to Wyoming. Wyoming closes as an 18.5-point underdog, and they were nowhere near close in this one. BYU, 14 out of 32 from three-point range with Noah Waterman and Trevon Nell leading the way. They were both able to give you 17 points with Nell. He's able to do a solid job with five boards in this game as well. And for Wyoming, they do have Sam Griffin go off for 25 points. Problem was... Nobody else could really give you much of anything. For James Madison, they were unable to really get as many points as they've been accustomed to because I believe that this team has gone to at least 75 points in every one of their games this far this season, but they still win, and for some reason, this was a little bit of a low-closing number against Texas State. They were able to get the cover as well. 82-65 to the final as James Madison really able to take off with their three-point shooting this far this season. In this one, they shoot 37.5% as a collective. And Texas State actually did a relatively solid job from three as well. They go 7 of 16. But for James Madison, they win the turnover battle 14 to 5. They win the rebound battle as well. DJ Bickerstaff, a double-double, 21 points, 10 rebounds. This James Madison team just time and time again has been able to get it done. And for them, they were able to get yet another really nice cover as for some reason, they were about a 12-point favorite. I really think that was name brand on Texas State, and they got that done very easily. How about Duke? They put up 106 points on old Queens NC. We feel for our good friend Nick Lawrenson, as I know that he was doing everything they could to get this team prepared. They were just running into a buzz on this one. 106-69, the final, as you did see in this one. Duke be able to get another big performance out of Kyle Filipowski. 19 points. Five blocks for Duke. 
every one of their starters since Jeremy Roach was able to get into double figures as Tyrese Proctor actually came in off the bench in this one. Four assists and one turnover. He looks solid. For Queens, they go 7-22 from three-par range, but lost the turnover battle 19-9. They lose the rebound battle 41-33. Just once again, very surgical from this Duke team, and they were able to get a nice cover. And going back, by the way, to what we've seen out of this James Madison team thus far this season, that cover, that leads them to now being 8-3-1 and against the spread. So they've been rock solid with that regard. They're actually not the best team in terms of cover rate, though, in the Sun Belt. That'd be Troy, who goes on the road. They win 72 to 65 against Coastal Carolina as three and a half point favorites. They were able to get a cover there as Christian Eugene was able to put up 20 big points. And for Coastal Carolina, actually, our 5 4 and 1 against the spread just doesn't feel that way. And from a Sunbelt perspective, by the way, the team that is really a big, giant, rusty anchor for this conference has been Georgia Southern. They entered into uh, Saturday's action. Just one of three winless teams in all of college basketball, but they've got a better cover eight than the team that they knocked out for the first win of the season. Southern Miss, 88-67. to Georgia Southern gets the job done. I said it when it happened. I don't think that Andre Corbello is really going to elevate the Southern Miss team. Been out there for three games now, and Southern Miss, they were able to win that game straight up against Lamar, but that was a nip and tuck game. They have now given up 79-plus points in all three of his games out there. Team is on three against the spread, and while Andre Cabello had 18 points, seven rebounds, he also had five turnovers in this game. Southern Miss is playing a lot faster, and feels like they're playing too fast for their own good, and they're not closing up from the three-point arc. 15 of 29 was Georgia Southern from three-point range, with Tyron Moore being able to give you more 27 points. Georgia Southern entered in this game 2-10 and 10 against the spread, winless straight up, and they just completely land base a Southern Miss team that brought in a complete knucklehead. So that's not great, to say the least. And this was also very interesting to take a look at with Notre Dame just being able to lay it on Virginia, 76-54. of 54. For Virginia, they go just 2 of 11 from three-point range. They've really been thriving on being able to create turnovers, and they did win the turnover battle 14 to 11, but the kryptonite of Virginia, it was exposed. They lose a rebound battle 40 to 27. Micah Shrewsbury certainly has his work cut out for him over at Notre Dame, but a very nice win for them, and perhaps a little bit of a program builder as well. Boost up the morale for a lot of these guys. If you're looking at some of your lesser teams against the spread in college basketball thus far this season, no doubt about it. Southeast Missouri State may have been one of them. They are currently clocking in 2-8 and eight against the spread, and we're going to be seeing them in action on Sunday. And they're tied right there with UTEP, who's now 2-8-1 and one against the spread after what we saw on Saturday. Seattle, a team that I'm quite bullish on. They get the job done, a win and a cover for them by kind of 73-61 to 61 as Seattle just completely dominated this game throughout. Cameron Tyson, 25 points. And for UTEP, did not have a single player get into double figures. They lost the rebound battle, 42-27. to 27. Seattle going to be a force out there in the whack. And our good friends in UTEP, Looks like it's going to be a little bit of a rough go of it for them. It's also a rough go of it right now for Middle Tennessee out there in that same conference. They are now 3-10 and against the spread. They lose to Murray State by kind of 75-54. to They have been a pretty big fade thus far this season. If you're wondering, worst team against the spread in all of college basketball right now, that is Pacific. They're going for this dubious honor for the second time in three years. They were able to get a win on Saturday, but wasn't up on the betting board as they were playing against California Maritime by kind of 80-66. to 
six. They probably should have won that game. Not even more so. They were unable to get a non-cover or a cover on Saturday, but we did see the Delta Devils of Mississippi Valley State, a team that's just not been able to play a whole heck of a lot of overs, actually playing over in this one, not because of their great play, though. It's because they gave up a 92 spot on a total that was less than 130. The Dons of San Francisco just completely pummeled Mississippi Valley State. This by kind of 92 to 42. Going into the day, Mississippi Valley State was averaging 5.9 points fewer per 100 possessions than the next worst team in terms of offensive efficiency points scored on a per possession basis in all of college basketball. And this probably went even further downward in this game. As for Mississippi Valley State, they did shoot actually 47% from the floor, but they had 17 made buckets and they had 24 turnovers and they lost the rebound battle 27 to 17. As for San Francisco, just zero domination. So many of their backups played pretty much the entirety of the second half. Just really, really sad to see, to say the least. Top under team in all of college basketball was able to get another under on Saturday. That would be Dartmouth. Dartmouth has played just one over and 10 unders thus far this season, and they just could not get any offense going against Vanderbilt. As for the Commodores, they're able to get the win. They're able to get the cover in this one. This by a count of 69-53 to for Dartmouth. This has just been a rudderless team. They've got some of their guys back that were dealing with injuries, but they went just 5-22 of from three-point range. They could not hit the offensive glass either. This was actually even up 35-35 to in the rebound department, but just three offensive rebounds for Dartmouth and Tyron Lawrence, Ezra Magnon, a combined 45 points for Vanderbilt for them to be able to get the job done, be able to get a cover that has been eluding them for much of the season. By the way, going back to that game that we saw for Marquette, they've now played 10 unders to just four overs as well. So they've been one of your better under teams in all of college basketball. And then this has been another machine to the under, and boy, did they get a scare. Rutgers wins the game, but they win by one point. They were about 25 points away from covering the spread. The spread was right around about 26-26 half. Rutgers in a nip and tuck game. They pull it out against Sonal, 59-58. So they're now 10-2 to the under, but for Rutgers, 5-28 of 28 from three-point range. Sonal, a ghastly 8-29 of 29 from distance, and the turnover battle is what saved Rutgers in this one. They win the turnover battle, 17-11. to 11. They do win the rebound battle as well, 48-46, to 46, as Cliff Amaroui did his part. 17 points, 17 rebounds, 3 blocks, but you were able to have... The Stone Hill team get 23 points and 12 rebounds out of Chaz Stinson, who was averaging about five and a half points and two and a half rebounds per game. So that was a little bit of a rough look. This was a rough look for Iowa State as well. They go to overtime and they get it done against West Virginia, but it was very much a nip and tuck game, 78 to 75, the final. Jesse Edwards was out of this game for West Virginia, and their entire offense was just out of sync from three point range. He goes just 5 22 from three point range. For Ohio State, they were able to do a solid job to be able to win the battle down low, 47-46. But for West Virginia, they did a nice job of being able to get guys in space with Raekwon Battle. 24 points, 10 rebounds. Kirk Creasa, only 5 points in this game. It feels like you've got a lot of moving parts with West Virginia trying to get things down. But it does feel like things are starting to come to the forefront for them. By the way, Houston has also been another one of your top under teams as well. They have played just 3 overs and 10 unders thus far this season. Meanwhile, the top over team in all of college basketball is Arkansas Pine Bluff. They did not play against a D1 opponent on Saturday. Eight overs, zero unders, and one push thus far this season. So they have been very remarkable with that regard. But another team has been playing a whole bunch of overs thus far this season is Northeastern out there in the Coastal Conference. And for Northeastern, they play yet another over. They lose to Rhode Island by a count of 82-71. to 71. Rhode Island, a modest favorite. They get it done very easily, but... 
for Northeastern. They're just getting absolutely destroyed on defense. They allow Rhode Island to go 7-16 to from three-point range. Northeastern, for some reason, is speeding things up, and it's not going well for them. They lose a rebound battle 35-24, to so that was another really rough showing for them. Another team has been able to do some really nice work to the over this far this season. Arkansas, and they played another harebrained game, 106-90. They do take down UNC Wilmington. They get the cover on a spread of about 10, 10.5, depending upon where you're looking. This got north of 11 in some spots before tip, but for Arkansas, lots of free throws in this game. They go 33 of 43, 24 of 34 for UNC Wilmington. Both teams had only eight turnovers in this game, but Keenan Metafield, who was missing towards the beginning part of the season, he supplied 33 big points in this game to be able to supply that game to the over. Going back to Friday, by the way, Kentucky has been another very good over team. Nine overs to three unders, and Indiana State has been another team that has cashed a lot of overs for you. Nine overs, three unders, unable to get the job done on Saturday as they were on the road against Michigan State. Michigan State gets that win 87-75 as about eight and a half or so point favorites, but you're able to get a nice easy over as Indiana State maintain their three-point shooting in this one. They shoot 40% from distance at 14 of 35. The issue for Indiana State, they lose the turnover battle 14 to 12, and for Maddie Sissoko, he had his best game of the year. I've been critical of him, and he stepped up in this game, 12 rebounds, did a pretty solid job against Robbie Avila, very nice Swiss Army knife guy for Indiana State, who had just 5.6 rebounds. So good on Sissoko and good on Michigan State for being able to get that win as well. And then a little bit of an oddity late in the night. You saw Florida Atlantic as a pretty sizable favorite. Lose outright to Florida Gulf Coast, 72-68 to the final. Florida Gulf Coast really had control of this game throughout. As for Florida Atlantic, just a cold shooting night. We saw this when they lost to Bryant as well. 4 of 20 from distance. And for Dunk City, how about Zach Anderson? 21 points, 10 rebounds as north of 15-point underdogs. Florida Gulf Coast, they get an outright win, and perhaps Dunk City is back, and Memphis, it does appear, is back. They are unable to cover the double-digit spread of about 20 or so points against Austin P. and Austin P. actually did a good job of hanging in there, but Memphis, they do get an 81-70 win. Davi Jones has been tremendous all season long, and he supplied another nice performance, 18 points, 5 boards, 3 seals, and credit where credit is due to this Austin P. team. With Corey Gibson at the helm, the team has been much more competitive, and they had a Jones of their own go off for 20 points in Desi Jones, so got a lot going on in college basketball right now. Tried to recap as many games of significance as humanly possible. And if you're looking at the uh, trends that we're seeing in college basketball right now, we have been noticing quite a few overs this college basketball season. 51.2% hit rate for overs thus far this season. 1,071 overs, 1,021 unders. We've had about 20 or so pushes thus far this season as well. Home underdogs are hitting at about 50.6%, 240, 234, and 10 against the spread, but they've been rough the last seven days. And favorites overall have been pretty solid, hitting at 50.6% overall for the season. But if you look at the last seven days in college basketball, it has been all about these favorites, and it has been all about overs. Favorites hitting at 57.4%, 85-63 and 2 against the spread. Overs, 84-65 and a push along the way. That is 56.5% of games going over the total of home underdogs in this time, just 16 and 17 against the spread. So that's what we're seeing right now in college basketball, and that's what we all got on Saturday. Coming up next, we're going to talk a little land Langton. We're going to get a stock up, stock down report and games for Saturday with our good friend mid-major Matt over at FDM Bets right here on Kipsko Soups with myself, Craig Peterson, now a part of the Beeson Family Podcast. Mm-hmm. 
Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. This show slash podcast is brought to you by BetterHelp. And over at BetterHelp, they're helping you try to be able to ease up on your life a little bit more because I'm sure that you, much like myself, wish you had a little bit more time on your hands, whether that be to pursue a hobby. I myself could use a little bit of sleep as I've been handicapping about like 300 games a week and you're not able to get a lot of sleep when you're working that much. So hopefully you appreciate it on this podcast. But that said, therapy can be exactly what you need to be able to get a little bit more time on your hands to pursue exactly what you love. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It is entirely online. It is designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched up with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time at no additional charge. Learn what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Coast today. That's C-O-A-S-T to be able to get 10% off through your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Coast. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash stereo right now. NetSuite.com slash stereo. NetSuite.com slash stereo. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 
2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash stereo right now. NetSuite.com slash stereo. NetSuite.com slash stereo. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Everyone, please welcome Coach John Calipari. We're getting beat by 18. My first game in Kentucky. They're saying, Cal's a bust. He can't coach. This is crazy. John Wall runs down the floor and makes a buzzer beater. Yep. You remember that, John? That's my first game winner I ever made. Remember you said you never seen me do that. Ladies and gentlemen, DeMarcus Boogie Cousins. I called Boogie. I'm like, yo, bro, I'm about to commit to Duke. And I hung up on him. <laughs> Bro, I'm talking about, do you want to tell me how many times he called me all type of names? Bro, you really sold me out. You doing this. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, I was sick. I remember that like yesterday, man. Love you, John Wall. Thanks, Coach. Love you, too. You made me everything I am today. Nah, you made me. You made me. I love it. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. It wasn't even supposed to be That's my day. That's my Sports betting innovative analytics has taken the guesswork and emotion out of sports betting to bring you an innovative and trustworthy resource to enhance your journey to becoming a winning player. With industry-leading money-back guarantee options backed by their sophisticated modeling, they want to introduce you to a system that's not widely seen or available to help you beat the bookmaker. Specializing in NBA, college basketball, and WNBA, your first week is always free. Get started at SBIA1.com today. We're back here in Las Vegas for Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Gibbs Peterson, now part of the Visa Family Podcast. And it's always great to be joined by this man, Matt Josephs. You know him better as Mid Major Matt. He does absolutely excellent work taking a look at so many different things. I know his college football picks have been tremendous all season long as we're in a feature pitch for bowl games and fewer bowl games with opt outs as well, which that's a good thing as Matt does a great job on that front. I know he's been doing absolutely tremendous work over at FTM Bets. For those of you that are out there in the Richmond area, over at ESPN Richmond, he hosts the show Border to Border. He does a little bit of everything and does so also well. And you're able to follow him on Twitter slash X at MidMajorMatt all together. And Matt, it's always great to have you aboard. Thank you. Yes, and it's always good to talk to you as well. As you said, yes, there's precious few college football games left, which means we focus in on college basketball a whole lot more. Absolutely. And let's take a look at what we're getting in your neck of the woods with VCU because it did stand out to me 
what we saw on Saturday because now Joe Bezmili along with Sean Bearsell are back and fold. They scored a combined 43 points against Gardner-Webb as they were able to get the job done. They were able to get the win. They were able to get the cover in that game. And how do you take a look at this VCU team moving forward? Because you don't want to completely throw away the results from the beginning part of the season. But at the same time, I do think that we need to look at this team much differently than we did in, say, November, early December, because adding those two guys in fold, I think, is just paramount for this VCU offense. And you certainly notice the difference, as you talk about, with the way Ryan Odom runs his offense, having those two guys, especially Bearstow, who's played in his offense before, I think it's going to pick up. And the interesting thing for VCU is they have not had a true road game yet this year. They played three games in that tournament around Thanksgiving, um, and that's it. Tuesday, January 9th, when they travel to George Mason, which, you know, it's going to be a road game, but there'll be a lot of VCU fans. It's in the same state. It'll be interesting to see how this Rams team handles, you know, playing on the road. The one thing they haven't fixed as much is their turnover issues. They're a team that traditionally the past couple years has just been kind of loose with the basketball at times, and they're not, you know, in the Havoc style, so not forcing as many turnovers. Certainly, this team's going to grow a little bit more. St. Bonaventure next Wednesday, GW next Saturday, two more opportunities, a nice opportunity to start 2-0 in the Atlantic 10 in front of the home fans. Yep, absolutely, and I do think that it is interesting to look at the Atlantic 10 as a whole because there was low expectations for this conference coming into the year. It was a one-bid league, and we have seen some teams have their falters. Certainly, I was expecting a little bit more out of Fordham this season, but with the way that George Mason has been able to perform, Dayton has been one of your better majors in all of college basketball. Richmond has like the best turnover rate in all of college basketball. George Washington, St. Bonaventure, as they all rise up. I don't take a look at this conference really other than Dayton as having that surefire at-large team, but St. Joe's has had a really nice run of things as well. I feel like the overall depth in this conference is as good as it has been in a few years back when they were getting quite a few bids to the NCAA tournament. Heck, haven't even mentioned UMass. Yeah, and it's funny, you mentioned the Spiders, and obviously I do a lot with the Spiders, and, and you see the 8-5 and five record, and you're like, all right, they had such low expectations entering the season, and, you know, if you had told me before the season what would their record be through 13 games, I'd probably say 8-5. and five. I probably would maybe give them a loss to UNLV, but a win maybe somewhere else. Maybe they wouldn't have lost it, which they'll see, or whatever. But, like, you know, Richmond is kind of performing as they can, and, and you know, losing to Lonnie Hunt early on has kind of given Michael Tyne, the freshman point guard, an opportunity to get a little bit more work. And then when you look at the rest of the conference, obviously St. Joe has done such tremendous work. It's funny that, you know, they have a loss to Texas A&M Commerce on their resume, but they also handed Princeton their only loss of the season. So St. Joe, obviously they might have wanted that Kentucky game to build an at-large resume. They probably don't have the at-large, although, you know, the Villanova win's very nice. The Princeton win's very nice. I don't know if it's enough, though, because obviously that Texas A&M Commerce loss is going to bring them down quite a bit. But yeah, I really like what the Hawks are doing, and it's almost like Billy Lang knew that this might be the year, even though he had a couple of slow years to start he knew this was going to be the year his program was going to take off yeah and boy have they ever as they take Kentucky to overtime as well just imagine how big that would have been if they would have been able to get that one as well but still a very spirited effort and really do like what I'm seeing overall in the Atlantic 10 right now is Matt Josephs better known as mid-major Matt joining me right here on Coast to Coast Hoops and coming up on Sunday we're not really going to be seeing any of these Atlantic 10 teams in action, unfortunately. And before we do it this Sunday slate, are there a few teams maybe outside the Atlantic 10 that 
maybe you've been betting on them or you've just been watching from afar and they've really been impressing you and you feel a little bit more stock up up on them now than maybe you did a month or two ago. Well, I mean, I'll go to the two mid-majors. I mean, one close to me, James Madison's 13-0. and And obviously that Michigan State win doesn't look as good as it was when that game happened. Michigan State's going to play better. I, I think that's going to happen. And, you know, it's going to be a nice thing on their resume. But just, you know, James Madison being able to handle that. Everybody's giving them their best shot. Their offense is really good so far this season. They're not turning the ball over. They're forcing turnovers as well. And look, we've talked about in previous appearances about, you know, the Sun Belt's not going to be as good. And we're going to look at those two games against Appalachian State, January 13th and January 27th as nice measuring stick games for James Madison. But you could see this Dukes team potentially being like a, you know, 28 and four type of team. And then it comes down to the committee saying, well, you know, 28 and four conference wasn't as good. You know, what are they going to do? And then of course, the common theme of Michigan State, we saw Indiana State today push him a little bit. And Indiana State's offense is just so surgical. And it's one of those things where in the Missouri Valley, it feels like they're going to have enough, uh, some opportunities to add to their resume. Certainly not quality, uh, uh, you know, quad one wins, but I really like this Indiana State offense. And if they could tighten up the defense just a little bit more, they're going to be a tough team. I really hope the committee doesn't do like an eight, nine game against these two and be like, hey, we're putting these two against each other. Let's have them play power five teams if they make it to March. Yeah, I hope not either. I remember when they paired up Florida Atlantic and Memphis last season because if Memphis wins that game legitimately, they could have won to the Final Four as well. That was as much of a nip and tuck game as we saw in the NCAA tournament. And it always is a little bit of a shame when we see that, but no doubt about it. I do think that those two teams that we did see in action on Saturday, they're going to be teams to watch out for as well. And I'm so glad that you bring up James Madison with all that they've been able to do thus far this season as well. And now let's take a look at a few games that we do have for Sunday because we've got out there on the Ryzen League a few teams that are rough, IAPUI and Detroit. It's going to be hard to back those teams on the money line. But the game that does really catch my eye is this UMKC versus St. Thomas team with St. Thomas being a seven half to an eight point favorite and the totals right around about 132. How do you view a team like a St. Thomas? Because I do think that there's a little bit more juice and a little bit more pop to them betting them game to game just because they are still one of those teams that's ineligible for the NCAA tournament. And while it's not one of those cases where if you make St. Thomas like an eight point favorite, now you elevate them to like an 11 point favorite for that motivational angle. But you have to feel like a team like a St. Thomas that because of the archaic NCAA rules, they do have a little bit more to prove in these sorts of games. And I do feel like they're sort of on a mission to try to prove that maybe if they would have been given a chance to the NCAA tournament, that they could have made some noise. Yeah, and it's interesting because the way they play basketball with such a slow pace, I feel like they're a better team to take as an underdog. You know, you look at some of these games where they played, and I don't have their spreads from these contests earlier, but like, you know, you play an Idaho State team. It's a 60-possession game. You only win by one. I'm pretty sure they didn't cover that game. You look at the Milwaukee game on December 6th. It's a 63-possession game. They only win by four. So, you know, I really like what St. Thomas is doing, and I don't think motivation will be an issue on December 31st when we get towards February and you know that last game towards those last couple of games in February like how will they be as a team will they be like hey you know we want to keep playing or are they going to start to wonder that was the one thing about James Madison for football that I was so impressed with what Kurt Signetti did before the season where they basically only lost one guy knowing full well that they may not make a bowl they may not make the postseason being able to keep the roster together and motivated as the season goes along I'm going to be interested to see what their head coach does in terms of keeping that 
that motivation. But I, I'm more of a person who's going to back St. Thomas as an underdog because I feel like unless they are truly heads and shoulders better than the opponent, that slow style just keeps teams in. It's the same thing that happens to Virginia when you play in Ohio or you play a Furman and you don't go fast. You know, you're up six or seven, but then that other team gets hot and then all of a sudden it's a close game and whatever. So I like St. Thomas more as an underdog than I do as a favorite. Yep, I do think that that's a good approach to take with a team like a St. Thomas. Virginia has been able to prove that they've been able to cover quite a few spreads. That's a big, giant favorite, but they're facing off against teams that they just completely outgun, and St. Thomas just doesn't have that sort of firepower to this point. We shall see if they're able to build things up as they become a more and more established D1 member next year. They actually will be eligible for the NCAA tournament. That should be able to help out with recruiting a little bit as well, and then Saying out in the Summit League, someone is going to have to win this league. And I do find this one to be intriguing. Very rare that you find Oral Roberts as an underdog in this conference. But right now, they're two to two and a half point underdogs against Denver with a total of 158 and a half. And Denver has one of the best scores in all of college basketball. Tommy Bruner has really been able to fill it up. But I feel like this is just undermining Oral Roberts just a little bit. Fully recognize it's a new coaching staff. It's a lot of the players that were not there for their Sweet 16 run. But I'm not sure. I just feel like Oral Roberts should not be the underdog in this spot. Yeah, and I really like Denver because, I mean, I mean look at the offense that they have, and you just talked about, uh, you know, their score, and they're coming off the 95-80 victory at Nebraska-Omaha, and now they're back home, and I think that's something, you know, we've talked about it with college football. You talk about with the NFL, you know, playing in Denver with the altitude and everything, and it's an advantage a little bit. And it, You know, obviously on these 48-hour turnarounds, you're going to try and probably, I'm assuming, Oral Roberts went from Kansas City and flew right into Denver, so they've been there for, you know, the 48 hours that they're probably getting ready for this game. It's just so funny because you look at Oral Roberts in the past and you're so used to how fast they would go and how high their tempos used to go. And now you look at their team and they're not running as much as they used to, even though, you know, Russell Springman's there. They're just not running. It's one of those classic cases of is who's going to tempo is going to win out. Denver, who wants to run, who wants to, you know, shoot, get a lot of shots up and things like that. Or is it going to be Oral Roberts who wants to slow things down a little bit? Usually you lean to the home team in that sort of situation. But I really like what this Pios team is doing this season because I think that their offense is going to carry them. Now, the one thing you have to also wonder here is four of their wins were against lower level teams. So they're actually really five and five against the division one. Yeah, Ben, I think that that's always so important to point out as well. A lot of teams can have their raw numbers be warped, trying to really exclude those numbers and take a look only at D1 versus D1 results. I think it's something that is very important to do as we're being joined by Matt Josephs, better known as mid-major Matt right here on Cusco Seeps. And another game I find to be very intriguing, and it's because of the total, is UW-Milwaukee against Wright State. Milwaukee is about a four to a four and a half point home underdog, but right now we're finding this total at a 166 half. This is a Milwaukee team that's been dealing with the injury to B.J. Freeman for north of a month. Uh, they've been really looking to mix a match. And last year, UW-Milwaukee was one of the most up-tempo teams in all of college basketball. We've seen them play a little bit more quickly recently. But in terms of raw possessions per game, this team is right around 214th in the country. But they're playing against the right state team that they are playing at warp speed. They've been scoring a ton. They've been giving it up a ton. How do you take a look at this matchup? Because you've got one team in Milwaukee that's been playing more mid-tempo this year, and you've got a right state team that 
They've been giving up 75 plus on the regular, and they've certainly been able to get theirs on offense. Well, the thing you always want to look at is what happens when they play slower teams, right, State? How do they do? And obviously that game they played on Friday against Green Bay. I mean, Green Bay is one of the slowest teams in the country, and that game was a 69-possession game, but it was 88-77. to So while it was a little bit of a slower game, they made it more efficient, both of these teams. I mean, giving up 88 to Green Bay is kind of sad. I mean, obviously, look, you look at all the games that they've played this year, and that's the highest that they've scored so far this season. I mean, the Phoenix are not exactly well off when it comes to offense. It is a concern when it comes to Wright State about their defense. And certainly it's a concern when you look at it on the road, too. I mean, they are as red as you can get in terms of defensive effective field goal percentage and two point percentage, almost 60 percent for the opponent here. I kind of lean a little bit towards Milwaukee being at home here in this situation. They're playing better basketball. The one thing we always have to consider nowadays until probably like, you know, the second week of January is the students won't be there. Not that Milwaukee has this raging home court advantage with the students even there. But that's certainly something you want to consider is when you're thinking of home field advantage, it's not what you had thought it would be for the next week, week and a half or so. Yep, I do think that with taking a look at home court advantage, that is something that needs to be kept in mind. A lot of these students are going to be off campus. Um, you're still going to have some pretty good home environments. We've seen that a lot in these Big East conference games, but there's going to be other environments that it's going to be a oh partial sellout, as they like to say as well. And then I do need to take a look at this game as well. Arizona versus Stanford. Stanford, a 12.5 to a 13-point underdog. Totals between 160.5 and 161.5. And we saw Stanford a few nights ago. Make look your buddy at the bar, and they could not close against Arizona State. How Jared Ass has been able to keep his job, I have absolutely no idea. But how do you take a look at a matchup like this? Because the opener on this game was more around 12.5. Now we're seeing it get elevated to 13, even perhaps a little bit higher prior to tip off as well. And no, I don't like betting on the Stanford team as well at all just because I have no faith at all in Jared Ass as a coach. I do feel like we might be starting to get a little bit overinflated on an Arizona team that's been amazing against the spread thus far. Yeah, and this is one of those things where I always like to go back and kind of look at last year. And you mentioned it last year, you know, Stanford was a little bit slower, actually a lot slower. They were 269th in adjusted tempo. They played Arizona twice, including one game at home, which they actually won. And it was an 88-79 game. It was a 67 possession game. And then you look in the Pac-12 tournament, and obviously that's a neutral court. They had played the night before, and Arizona scores 95. It's a 95-84 game with 74 possession. So you always want to kind of look and see who's the more aggressive team when it comes to tempo. And obviously Arizona, for the most part, depending upon who they play, they are going to push their tempo on whoever they want to do. You know, Stanford, obviously there could be a little bit of a hangover when it comes to coming off that game against Arizona. This might be one of those situations where I almost want to look at maybe an Arizona team total, thinking that Arizona is going to, I mean, look, they just, nobody's been able to slow this team down. And I'm already getting ready to, to think about March and be like, all right, I'm back on in Arizona again. And then they're going to lose this, you know, James Madison or, or, or Indiana State or whatever. So maybe you look at it, an Arizona team total over here because they've been able to score on pretty much everybody, home, road, or anywhere else. Yeah, Arizona with their offense has been absolutely magnificent. And a lot of people forget, this is also an Arizona team that's in the top 30 nationally in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis as well. So they've really been doing it in both facets of basketball, Matt. Want to open it up to you here. Is there any other games that you're taking a look at, whether it's going to be one or two that you're going to be betting, or maybe it's a game or two that maybe you don't have a lot on, but you just want to see a little bit more from that team 
as a either start conference play or they get set for conference play. Well, I mean, I, you know, I, I made a little bit of money. I had Santa Clara against uh, Washington State. I mean, obviously Washington State had done so well early on, but they had played nobody. And I feel like we got really good value. And obviously the bet won. I kind of want to see if Washington State's going to improve at all or anything. You know, Colorado, obviously I watched a little bit of the Colorado Richmond game when they played each other in that neutral court game. But you also look at what Colorado has done so far this season. The Miami win was very nice. The home win against Washington. How much is Colorado, like, look, they're not going to be a top 10 three-point shooting team the rest of the way, probably. They're not going to be a top 10 effective field goal percentage offense the rest of the way. I wonder how much that's going to kind of hold up against Washington State, who, you know, plays pretty good defense, but has also lost to pretty much everybody outside of Boise State that it was any good as their opponent. The other thing that's interesting, and I don't know what your theory is, you know, I was looking at that Purdue-Fort Wayne-Detroit game, and I like the over in this situation. I like Purdue-Fort Wayne. The Dons have been very good. Their offense is just so good so far this year. Their defense has been leaky enough that there's been some overs there. Detroit is just terrible. They're going to turn the ball over because that's what Fort Wayne does. But I'm always kind of leery, especially it's New Year's Eve. It's a two o'clock game on the East Coast. I I don't know if Purdue Fort Wayne is it going to be a one o'clock, whatever, but it's just going to be a sleepy atmosphere. And I feel like you either get really good efforts and really focused efforts and a lot of points on both sides, or you get kids that are playing in front of nobody and it's one o'clock or two o'clock in the afternoon and you get kind of a half effort. So I want to play the over in this Fort Wayne Detroit game. And if this was like a seven o'clock game, I definitely would. But I don't know about you. Like, I'm always kind of leery with these really early games because these are college kids and it's a holiday. And who knows what you're going to kind of get. Yep, I'm right there with you because trying to stick yourself in the minds of an 18 to 22 year old like that, it is a little bit difficult. And I honestly think it bodes a little bit better for the road team just because with the road team, they might try to find something to do out there in whatever city they're playing in, like for Oral Roberts on the road against Denver. Maybe they look for a Ranger that's going on in Denver or anything like that. But a lot of those teams are just going to be traveling home and they're going to try to get home as quickly as possible for the holiday. So I actually think that that was a little bit better for the road team, whereas the home team, they're going to be planning out perhaps going out, celebrating the new year a few hours later as well. So I do think that that's a little bit of something tricky to be able to handle, but a man that does a great job of just being able to balance so many things and be able to find winners on the board. That is you, Matt. You do impeccable work over at FTN Network. You do great work over at ESPN Radio in Richmond, Athlon Sports, this goes on and on. So love the good people at home. You know what's all on tap for you and how people can follow along on social media and other platforms. Yeah, I've been Major Matt on Twitter. And obviously, I always say it on your show. We all have the same goal. We all want to beat the book. So obviously, any questions or things like that, I know that you do a great job with your spreadsheet. And I'm certainly looking at the stuff and kind of using it to kind of balance off of what I like on any given day. You know, if anybody ever likes team totals or anything like that or, or player props, I can't bet on player props, unfortunately, in Virginia in college. But I could certainly give an opinion or, or something like that. And hey, Listen, Greg, soon spring training, and then we kind of get into that a little bit, and we love that sort of thing. So, yeah, at Midmajor Matt on Twitter. FTM Bets is where I post my bets uh, on their wonderful bet tracker. It's a tremendous website. I write a lot of articles, retweet them on my Twitter feed, so you can certainly check it out. I had a couple previews for today on the Peach Bowl and the Orange Bowl, and I've got one coming up, um, I believe, on the Alabama game, which I got to start working on as well. So certainly find me on Twitter, at Midmajor Matt, and uh, we're all trying to beat the books, and that's all we're trying to do. Absolutely, and Matt did so. Such great work in 2023 that is going to be continuing on to 2024 and beyond. Just a wealth of knowledge, whether it's college football, whether it's college basketball, baseball, 
you name it, he does it. And every single time he joins his podcast, one such great insight. So big thanks to Matt for joining me on Kiss Kiss. He's now part of the Visa Family Podcast. And coming next, it is that time of the podcast to give you picks and analysis. Every game on the betting board for this college basketball Sunday and this New Year's Eve Sunday as we had some big shots. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infinity QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash stereo right now. NetSuite.com slash stereo. NetSuite.com slash stereo. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Everyone, please welcome Coach John Calipari. We're getting beat by 18. My first game in Kentucky. They're saying, Cal's a bust. He can't coach. This is crazy. John Wall runs down the floor and makes a buzzer beater. Yep. You remember that, John? That's my first game win I ever made. Remember you said you never seen me do that. Ladies and gentlemen, Demarcus Boogie Cousins. I called Boogie. I'm like, yo, bro, I'm about to commit to Duke. And I hung up on him. <laughs> bro, I'm talking about, do you want to tell me how many times he called me all type of names? Bro, you really sold me out. You doing this. <laughs> <laughs> bro, I was sick. I remember that like yesterday, man. Love you, John Wall. Thanks, Coach. Love you, too. You made me everything I am today. Nah, you made me. You made me. I love it. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. It wasn't even supposed to be That's my, my game. <laughs> Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. 
smart enough to anticipate your needs even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com stereo right now. NetSuite.com stereo. NetSuite.com stereo. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Everyone, please welcome Coach John Calipari. We're getting beat by 18. My first game in Kentucky. They're saying Cal's a bust. He can't coach. This is crazy. John Wall runs down the floor and makes a buzzer beater. Yep. You remember that, John? That my first game win I ever made. Remember you said you never seen me do that. Ladies and gentlemen, DeMarcus Boogie Cousins. I called Boogie. I'm like, yo, bro, I'm about to commit to Duke. And I hung up on him. <laughs> Bro, I'm talking about, do you want to tell me how many times he called me all type of names? Bro, you really sold me out. You doing this. <laughs> Bro, I was sick. I remember that like yesterday, man. Love you, John Wall. Thanks, Coach. Love you, too. You made me everything I am today. Nah, you made me. You made me. I love it. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. It wasn't even supposed to be That's my That's my Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. 
But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com stereo right now. NetSuite.com stereo. NetSuite.com stereo. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Everyone, please welcome Coach John Calipari. We're getting beat by 18. My first game in Kentucky. They're saying, Cal's a bust. He can't coach. This is crazy. John Wall runs down the floor and makes a buzzer beater. Yep. You remember that, John? That's my first game win I ever made. Remember you said you never seen me do that. Ladies and gentlemen, DeMarcus Boogie Cousins. I called Boogie. I'm like, yo, bro, I'm about to commit to Duke. And I hung up on him. <laughs> Bro, I'm talking about, do you want to tell me how many times he called me all type of names? Bro, you really sold me out. You doing this. <laughs> Bro, I was sick. I remember that like yesterday, man. Love you, John Wall. Thanks, Coach. Love you, too. You made me everything I am today. Nah, you made me. You made me. I love it. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. It wasn't even supposed to be That's my dance, <laughs> Las Vegas, look up Hoops with myself, Greg Eves Peterson, now part of the Beast and Family Podcast. It's always great to be joined by Matt Josephs, better known as Mid Major Matt, who does an absolutely excellent job handicapping so many things over there at FTN Network and FTN Bets. Take a look at college football, college basketball. I know he's done some good work in the NFL, baseball, you name it. He does it every single time he joins this podcast. He does an incredible job. So, big thanks to Matt for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast. I give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Sunday, this New Year's Eve college basketball Sunday, as we had some bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. Do note that as per usual, any changes are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter slash X feed at GNN underscore D1. And we're going to be going in Las Vegas rotation or this is where we go with the games from bigger conferences first. And then these conferences will be at the bottom. The MEAC, the America East, the SWAC, I believe I already said the America East. And then you've also got, if there's any games involving independent schools, those are going to be down there as well. Typically, we would have the Patriot League as well, but there's no games involving the Patriot League today. So let's get things started with 851-852 on the betting board. It is Robert Morris on the road facing off against UW-Green Bay. Green Bay does find themselves as favorites of 3 to 4 points. Your total is between 138.5 and 139.5. I'm becoming more bullish on Green Bay. I feel like they should be the favorite, but can I make them a 2-point favorite? So here around 3, especially if we can get to a 4, I'm going to be willing to take the points with Robert Morris. 
Robert Morris does need to get out of their own way with the turnovers. They've been turning it over between 13 to 14 times per contest. And Justice Williams, who he comes over from LSU, he has been turning the ball over a little bit too much. More turnovers than assists. That's not necessarily the world's greatest sign. But I do think that Marquise Hastings is going to be a really tough guard for this UW-Green Bay team. For Hastings, 15.5 points, six foot seven. He's been able to bury 44% of his threes, shipping in their eight rebounds per game. And UW-Green Bay, they just don't have a lot down low. They have had Elijah Jones be able to chip in their six half boards, nine points per contest. But this is a very top-heavy team that relies upon Noah Reynolds to do a little bit of everything. And I do think that he's going to continue to improve with his three-point shooting. He's now up to 35% after he just went inferno mode for 39 points against Wright State a few days ago. I mean, that was absolutely absurd. And I don't expect him to score 39 points once again, but and this was a guy that at Wyoming last year shot 33% from three with 14 and a half points per game. So he's clearly capable of some big results. You've also been able to have this team improve a little bit ever since Clarence Cummings came back in the fold as well. Missed the first six games of the season since he's come back. He's only logged about seven points per game. And Green Bay only has two guys on the roster in Reynolds and Jones that average more than seven points and more than three and a half rebounds per game. So this is very much a top-heavy team, but he's been able to give you just some nice facilitation. He's been able to help calm down this offense as well. But I do think that you're going to see Robert Morris continue to improve a little bit with their three-point shooting. Josh Corbin has been able to give you three assists, 13 and a half points per contest. That does take a little bit of the load off of Williams as well. This team should have the advantage down low. Stephon Walker being able to give you about seven rebounds per game. The turnovers are a concern, but this UW-Green Bay team, not one that really takes the ball away a whole heck of a lot. So that makes you feel a little bit better about them. UW-Green Bay, they've been able to launch their offense a little bit more with 70-plus points in three of their last four games. But again, because everything does run exclusively through Reynolds, I do have my issues there. And they were going up against the right state team a few days ago. That is one of the worst in all of college basketball in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Now, you've got a Robert Morris team that has also allowed at least 73 points in four of their last five games as well. But I do think that things are going to be calmed down in this ordeal. UW-Green Bay inside the top 275 in terms of total possessions per game. So, did make my line too. I'm going to be willing to take the points with Robert Morris. I think Green Bay cools down after their 88-point performance against Wright State. And you see a little bit more of a lower-scoring game. So, maybe by total 134, diving in on the under. And I'm going to be willing to take the points with Robert Morris. 853-854 on the betting board. Fort Wayne, IPFW, is going to be playing us to Detroit. Detroit, a 14 and a half to a 15 point underdog. Total on this game is 144 and a half. Set my line at 16 and a half. Detroit, now one of two remaining schools in Division I college basketball without a win. And man, it's just sad. Between they and the Pistons, they have lost 42 straight games. Jeez, I'm going to be willing to lay the number here with Fort Wayne because with Fort Wayne, this team has always been a good three-point shooting team, but to be able to get those three-point shots in past years, they would turn the ball over a lot. They have rectified that. They are only turning it over about 9.9 times for contest. You've had the D2 Parkside transfer in Rasheed Bell, UW Parkside, by the way, the only two D2 university in the state of Wisconsin really elevate this team. He doesn't shoot a ball from three himself at only about 30.5%, but he gets the ball to others. 14.5 points, 4 half assists, two steals per game and that has allowed so many guys like Quentin Morton Robinson, Anthony Roberts, guys like this to really be able to launch from three-point range. Morton Robinson, Roberts, these two guys are combining for about 27 points per game and Morton Robinson shoots 47% from three-point range. Maximus Nelson, he has been able to give you the maximum 45.5% three-point shooting. Only gives you about eight points per game and this team does leave a little bit of something to be desired down low. For Fort Wayne, only two guys giving you north of four rebounds per game, but 
not like this Detroit team is giving you much of anything. And you have to have question marks with Eduardo Del Cadilla. He made the start against IUPUI, but left after three minutes. He only had one rebound in the game. He was actually a big reason why that I made Detroit that DK no regret because I thought he was going to be solid and he didn't play at all. You've also been dealing with the injury to Jaden Stone, top scorer for the team with 19 points per contest. It does not help that Detroit is in the bottom 50 in all of college basketball in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. And the biggest weak point for Detroit, they allow opponents to shoot over 40% from three-point range. This is just a terrible matchup for them with Del Cadilla along Stone deal with injuries. You really only have one guy that's giving you north of five rebounds per game. That'd be Ryan Hurst, and he just became eligible for this team. So that's not necessarily where you want to be. They've been dealing with a lot of guys that have just been unable to take care of the ball as well. 14 turnovers per game, despite the fact that Detroit won the slowest tempo teams in all of college basketball. Fort Wayne, a little bit of a faster tempo team. It's been a Detroit bunch that has been able to exceed the 70-point plateau just twice as far this season, but I did sub my toe at 146.5 just because I do think that Fort Wayne is really going to be able to take advantage of the fact that this Detroit team cannot guard the arc to save their lives, and I do think that they just get it laid on them. So I'm going to be one lay up to 16 with Fort Wayne. Did sub my toe at 146.5. It's also going over to go along Fort Wayne laying the number 855-856 on the banking board. IEPUI, a.k.a. EWPUI, is playing us to Cleveland State. Cleveland State, a 10 and a half to an 11 point favorite. Your total is 143 and a half. Did semi line at 15. I'm going to be one to lay with Cleveland State. Congratulations to IUPUI for snapping their nine game losing streak against Division One competition. I think we are going to see them fall right back to earth. It's a IUPUI team that still ranks well outside the top 325 in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. You still have a team that ranks in the bottom 20 nationally in terms of three-point shooting percentage as well, in terms of turnovers on a per-possession basis at home. This team is in the bottom 30 in the country. There's just really not much to like other than Jalen Connor. I do like what I'm seeing out of Jalen Connor. 16 points, they'll chip in their four and a half boards, 2.7 assists per game, and then Kwanzi Samuels is really the only other guy in this IEPUI team that is giving you north of three and a half rebounds per game. So it's been counter. A little bit of Bryce Monroe is able to give you 11 points per game, and then you just have absolutely nothing else on this team. Meanwhile, for Cleveland State, Tristan Iranura has been amazing for this team. He's been able to just lead the team in darn near everything. A steal and a half, three assists, six and a half rebounds, 18 points per game. And Cleveland State last year was one of your lesser three-point shooting teams in all of college basketball. They're now shooting 38% from distance. You have a little bit of trepidation with them laying this big of a number on the road because they are shooting just 65% at the free throw line. But this team also does a really nice job of being able to take the ball away. About nine and a half steals per contest. Each of your top three scores are giving you at least 1.4 steals per game as you've had Tay Williams, Drew Lauder do a nice job combining for about 26 half points per game. They've done a tremendous job of being able to give you north of three steals per contest and Lauder is currently shooting about 40% from three-point range. You've been able to get quite a bit as well with about eight points per contest out of Jason Woodridge, who's been able to come in, shoot 44.5% from three as a six foot seven, a little bit of a combo player. Even though IUPUI was able to get the job done a few days ago, you take a look at their results against D1 competition in terms of the offensive side of things. This team has exceeded the 66-point plateau against D1 competition just twice this far this season. So I've got my massive concerns there. Cleveland State, they're playing quite a bit faster this season, but they're still doing a solid job on defense. So this is a circumstance where I'm going to be willing to lay the number with Cleveland State being a top 75 team in terms of turnovers for us on a per possession basis with Cleveland State 
Maybe not being a world beater on defense, but being a relatively solid defense, about 165th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. I do think that we are going to get just enough defense to be able to keep this total under. I did set my total at a 139, so I'm going to be willing to dive in on the under and going to be willing to lay it with Cleveland State here. 857, 858 on the bank board. Colorado is playing against Washington State. Washington State, a 9.5 to a 10-point underdog. Totals between 144.5 and 145. Since that Colorado's a 12-point favorite, going to be willing to lay the number. I do think that home court advantage is very big just in observing the Pac-12 for its existence. The mountain road trip, taking on Colorado and taking on Utah. Teams just do not come out of this road trip alive without taking at least one loss, if not two. And for Washington State, this has been a very good defense. They're a top 30 team in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, but they played against a lot of lesser competition and they're a little bit top heavy with their top two scorers as Isaac Jones, Miles Rice, they combined for 30.1 points per contest with Rice shooting about 35% per three. Nobody else really gives you north of 9.5 points per game. Now, a very good team at being able to rebound by committee as if you got three of your top four scorers giving you at least five rebounds per game, Andre Yagmovsky, Jalen Wells, these have been guys that have been able to do a relatively solid job, adding in there between the two of them about 10.5 rebounds per game, with Wells shooting about 37% from three-point range, but this Colorado team just has so many weapons with K.J. Simpson being the do-it-all guy. Five boards, five assists, 20 points per contest, but Tristan De Silva does a nice job chipping in there about 15.5 points per game. Defense, I thought, was going to be a little bit better for Colorado, but once again, they've got this really nice home court advantage where they give up about 7.5 points fewer per one hour possessions when they're at home rather than on the road, and what has been the bread and butter of this Colorado team has been firing it in from three-point range. This team is 16th in the country in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis, due in large part to the fact that they shoot 40.7% from distance as a collective, and they've been doing much of this without Cody Williams, who's been out of the fold really since early December, so they've been relying a little bit more on guys like Javante Hadley, Julian Hammond, who have been able to give you about 10 points per contest. Hammond is shooting about 46.5% from three-point range. Now, you do have a Washington State team has been able to do a good job of being able to shut down the three-point arc. Once again, though, competition that they played was not necessarily too tremendous. I've got my question marks here. Was expecting a whole heck of a lot more out of some of the guys that they brought in via the transfer portal as well as they bring in Joseph Yasufu, who was over at Kansas. He was over at Drake. Has been in and out of the fold for the team and when he's actually been in the lineup has been highly ineffective for them. Now, while Washington State doesn't really hurt themselves with turnovers, only about 10 and a half turnovers per game, you've got a Colorado team that they do turn the ball for 14 times for contest to be able to get these good outside shots. It's a Washington State team that while they do a lot of good things on defense, not necessarily one that's going to take the ball away. And then you do have for Colorado just a lot of good versatility down low, even some like a Luke Bryan, who's able to give you some shot blocks down low, who's able to give you some rebounds. I do think that Colorado, as a result, going to take it to a Washington State team that's really had their struggles on offense, scoring now 66 points or fewer each other last three games, going up against Colorado team that has gotten a 90-plus in four of their last five games. I do think that things get bogged down a little bit more in this matchup, so I did set my total at a 146. I do think that for Colorado, they're not going to quite get to 90, but I do think that Washington State propped up with their defensive numbers a little bit based on the competition that they played, so going to be one to lay up to 11.5 with Colorado here between 144.5 to 145. Also looking over, 859, 860 on the betting board, it is Oakland, and they hit the road face off against Youngstown State. The Penguins of Youngstown State are a favorite of 4 to 4.5 points. Your total is between 148 and 148.5. Set my line at 3. I'm going to be willing to take the points with Oakland. Oakland is a better team than what they were a 
season ago defensively, but still a team that does rank outside the top 240 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but still a marked improvement from what they were a season ago. This team always has had their issues being able to guard the three-point arc, but I do think that this squad going to be able to do a relatively solid job against a Young Suns State team that just isn't quite the same offense that they were a season ago. A season ago, this Young Suns State team was a top 12 team in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. They lost much of that from a season ago. Saints Brandon Rush, who's been able to do a nice job. He's shipping in there about 14 points per contest, but Trey Thompson I think is going to be able to keep this Oakland team very lively. Guy that's been able to give you 7.5 boards, 16 points per game on 38.5% three-point shooting in. Oakland has really challenged themselves. They lose by single digits on the road against Ohio State. They hang in there to the tune of 11 against Illinois. They win outright against Xavier. They play a one-point game against Toledo. This team has really done a nice job of stepping out there and taking on those big games, whereas Young Sun State in those step-up games against the likes of Michigan, they just haven't had those results. It is an Oakland team that's only shooting about 31.5% from three-point range. Rocket Watts has been, once again, disappointing for the team, but now they do have Blake Lantman back in the fold. Lantman has been able to help out in terms of facilitation, giving out a combined 13 assists to three turnovers over the last three games. Has chipped in their two-plus steals in three of the last four games as well, so that does elevate an Oakland team that certainly has been having their issues offensively, scoring fewer than 69 points in now four of their last five games. As a young South State team that, by the way, has actually really stepped it up with their defense as well. Last year, they were quite atrocious with this regard. They're now a top 125 team in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, having given up 72 points or fewer in each of their last six games, but that said, it is a young South State team as been facing off against a little bit of lesser competition, while DJ Burns is able to give you nine rebounds per game. You don't necessarily have a whole heck of a lot of rebounding outside of that. Nobody else gives you north of five boards per contest, and for this Young Sound State team, they really don't impose their will in terms of forcing a lot of turnovers. That should allow Oakland to get some clean possessions, and both of these teams have slowed down their tempo from a season ago as well, so I did set my total at 145. Traditionally, these are two more up-tempo teams, but I do think that things get slowed down a little bit more with this regard, with Oakland doing a better job of guarding the three-point arc. I do think that they hold in this game, so we'll take the points with Oakland and the under. 861-862 on the betting board. South Dakota plays us to Nebraska. Omaha. Omaha does find themselves as a underdog of three and a half to four points in your total. That is 155 to 155 and a half for Omaha. I did set them as an underdog of three points, so getting north of three, I'm going to be willing to take them. For South Dakota, this has been a really good three-point shooting team, and this has been a really bad defensive team, and you're going to find a lot of that in the Southern League. Southern League not necessarily known for their defense, as Nebraska Omaha not necessarily world beaters on defense themselves. Nebraska Omaha, in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis thus far this season, finds themselves clocking in 309th, but very interestingly, for Nebraska Omaha, when they're away from home, they're actually giving up right around about 17.5 points fewer per 100 possessions than they are at home, so we shall see if that maintains here. Meanwhile, for the South Dakota squad, 288th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, so South Dakota does a nice job down low with Lahat Thione being able to give you about 10 rebounds per game. Omaha's not going to be able to match up with that, but what Omaha does have is some versatility. Markel Sutton, along with Frankie Fiddler, been able to combine for 11 rebounds and 2 seals per game. Fiddler is your main scorer with 16.5 points per game, shooting about 34.5% from 3-point range. Omaha does a nice job taking care of the ball, only about 11 turnovers per contest. You don't necessarily have the world's greatest depth with Omaha, but it certainly has been building up a little bit more for this team. When it comes to Omaha, 
The offense has been a little bit over the place over the last five games. They have scored 58, 58, 88, 53, and 80 points. Meanwhile, you've got a South Dakota team that certainly has been having their issues on defense all season long. As talking about a team that's been all over the place in the last four games, they have given up 66, 69, 96, and 121 points. So you either get all of South Dakota or you get none of it. There's really not a lot of in-between. But for South Dakota, they do shoot about 38.5% from three-point It does come at the cost of some more turnovers. 13 and a half turnovers per game. Along with Fione, you've got Boston Holt. These two guys, they played at Utah together. Holt has been able to give you about 11 and a half points per contest. The main guy that's been able to launch from three-point range has been Caleb Stewart, shooting 45% from three-point range. Up with a little bit of an injury towards the beginning part of the season, but now he's fully healthy and has really given this team some nice results along Paul Bruns was able to give you about 11.5 points per contest, but outside Fione, you really don't have a lot of rebounding with this team. Oma does feel like they've got a little bit more balance with their roster, despite the fact that they've only got two guys they're averaging in double figures. They do have a lot of guys that sort of know their role and has helped this Oma team become a little bit more efficient. So I do think that Oma does go to South Dakota. They hold in there. Both of these teams, relatively lower tempo, especially Oma. South Dakota has been cranking up their tempo a little bit more, but I do think that for South Dakota, we're going to see that three-point shooting dry up a little bit on them. So I did set my total at a 151, looking at the under. Now with Oma, anything north of three, going to be willing to take the points with them. 863, 864 on the betting board. It is Oklahoma playing us of Monmouth. Monmouth is an underdog of 20 points. Totals between 143 and 144. And I set my line at 19.5. 20 is my minimum buy point on Monmouth, but here at the 20, I'm going to be willing to take the points. It's an Oklahoma team that has been absolutely dazzling in terms of both their offensive and defensive efficiency numbers, but they go up against a Monmouth team that has really turned over a new leaf. As Xander Rice, he is now playing for his dad in King Rice as he was playing at Bucknell the last few seasons and has really elevated this offense. Monmouth last year was a bottom 25 team in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. Rice has really bumped them up to now shooting 39% from three-point range, 19 points, three and a half assists, 1.2 steals per game, and that's the one thing about Monmouth's defense that is a little bit under the radar. They do a nice job of being able to pickpocket. Jakari Spence doesn't give you a lot of scoring, but he chips in there about 1.7 steals per contest and did shoot 46.5% from three-point range. You've got a guy in Jack Collins that at 6'5", he's a little bit of a Swiss Army knife. 6.5 boards, 11.5 points, 1.3 steals per contest, and it's coming off of a nice double-double against Manhattan, and this has been a Monmouth team that has been pretty consistent with their offense, getting north of 70 points in four of their last five games, and they get to go up against an Oklahoma team that certainly has been able to elevate on the offensive side of things. They're 14th in the country, by the way, in terms of opponent's three-point shooting percentage. I have a little bit of a feeling that Oklahoma is going to have a bit of a tougher time when the rubber meets the road. It's not that Oklahoma has played an absolutely terrible non-conference schedule, but there are some cupcakes that are on there that have really elevated these numbers, and my loose Suzanne is someone I thought was going to be able to elevate for the team, and while he is giving you about four boards, four assists per contest, he's only at about eight points per game on less than 30% three-point shooting. It is an Oklahoma team that has cranked up their tempo, and it has come at a little bit of an expense of the turnovers, as they now are giving up about 13 turnovers per contest. Monmouth, even though they have been able to generate some steals, they have been leaving a little bit of something to be desired defensively, about 230th in the country. In terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, but you also do have a Monmouth team that allows about two points fewer per one or possessions on the road than they do at home. Monmouth, in terms of guarding the arc, they're right around 228th in the country, but again, they actually have guarded the arc better on the road than they have at home. 
You've got JVR McComb, who's been able to give you 15 points per game for Oklahoma, and Otega away. He has been just absolutely magnificent. 15 points on 73.5% three-point shooting. I'm going to go out here on a limb, and I'm going to say that that goes downward a little bit, but this is a Mammoth theme that's relatively battle-tested. We've seen them hold to the tune of single digits on the road against Seton Hall. They've pulled off wins against Belmont. They played relatively close against Penn. I like what I'm seeing out of this team, and it is an Oklahoma team that is starting to have some cracks with regards to their defense, giving up 70-plus points in three out of their last four games, lone exception going up against a super slow UW Green Bay team, so it is a situation of something's got to give, and I did sell my total 145.5. I do think that you're going to see some points with this good Mammoth three-point shooting team, enough to be able to hold in there. I'm willing to take 20-plus here with Mammoth and going to be taking a look at the over. 865, 866 on the bank board. St. Thomas is going to be playing us to UMKC. UMKC is an underdog of 7.5 to 8 points. Your total is between 131.5 and 132.5. Did set UMKC as an underdog of six points. I'm going to be willing to take these points. I was mentioning it with mid-major Matt. You have a St. Thomas team that I think comes out with a little bit more motivation in some of these regular season games because they are ineligible for the NCAA tournament. But I also side with Matt because with St. Thomas, they are a bottom 30 team. In terms of total possessions per game, that makes it a little bit more difficult to win by margin. And for St. Thomas, you don't have a single guy on the roster that gives you north of five rebounds per game. Now, to the cry of St. Thomas, they're always a team that does a good job protecting the ball, just 10.2 turnovers per contest this year and St. Thomas first few years at the Division 1 level despite the fact that they played slow they weren't really efficient on the defensive side of things. They were well outside the top 250 in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. They are up to 108th this season but they're actually giving up more points per possession when they're at home rather than on the road and got a UMKC team that you expected a little bit more on defense. Marvin Menzies once again doing a bang up bad job with regards to defense and you want to talk about a split. This team is giving up and I'm not even kidding here 31 points more per 100 possessions when they're on the road rather than when they are at home. But I do think that for UMKC, they're going to be able to hold in there just a little bit. They're dealing with the injury to Anderson Cop, and it's looking like he's just going to be out until further notice, which I don't think that that's a bad thing. They were trying to run the offense through him, and he clearly is not necessarily a ball-dominant guy. So now you look to Jamar Brown. He's been able to do a nice job, shooting 35% for three, 14 and a half points, six boards per contest. What I really want to see from the team is to restore more minutes to Allen, David, and Becca Jr., who was tremendous for the team last season down low. Last season was able to log a block, 7.5 rebounds, 9.5 points per game, and about 20.5 minutes per game. Now he's down to 15.5 minutes per game. Why? I have no earthly idea whatsoever, but he's gotten a few more minutes recently, and he's gotten a combined six blocks in the last three games. He's a good rim protector. If they utilize him a little bit more, I think that this is a good matchup for him. They've been also looking to Christian Korsalt, the transfer from Chattanooga, to become the main ball handler, especially with Cup being out of the fold. He's done a nice job with 3.7 assists per contest. It is a UMKC team that's relatively low tempo. That is during it over 13 times per game, so I spent a little bit unsightly. And in terms of a favorite role, I would never be willing to trust UMKC with their 63.5% free throw shooting, but we have seen UMKC start to rise up a little bit more with their defense once again. That was really their calling card last season, and now they've given up 70 points or fewer in far of their last five games. St. Thomas, they play at one of the slower paces in all of college basketball, but they've actually gotten to at least 70 points in now each other last four games, so it's an interesting little dynamic in this one. I do think the UMKC can hold in there. I do think that David and Becca Jr. getting more minutes is a good 
thing for this team. So I'm going to be looking at the points with UMKCM. With my total, I did set it at a 132, between a 131.5 and a 132.5. I would rather take the 131.5 over just because I do think that this is going to be a game close enough for a late game felling. If we see this get to like a 133 or so, I would be willing to take the under there. But between these two numbers, would rather have the over to go along with the points with UMKC. 867-868 on the bang board. Right state. It's the red face off against UW-Milwaukee. And Milwaukee does find themselves as 4-4.5 to point home underdogs. Your total is between 166 and 166.5. And and with right state, I do think that the side is right up to 4 points. Once you get past 4, that's a point of no return. As I did set my line at 4 with UW-Milwaukee. Seeing some 4.5s out there, I'm going to be willing to take those points. It's the UW-Milwaukee team that's been a wreck without B.J. Freeman. There's no question about it, but now they get an opportunity against the right state team that's just getting completely torched on defense. I mean, for right state, they are right now outside the top 325 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. And while they've had some good results against non-Division One teams, against Division One teams, this team has been getting absolutely destroyed defensively as they have given up at least 74 points in all but one of their games against a Division One opponent thus far this season. They gave up 49 Illinois State one day. I have no idea how. I have no idea why. I mean, I don't know what sort of sorcery came over them, but past that, this team has been getting crushed on defense. You've got Trey Calvin and Chandler Holden, though, that they're able to do a tremendous job offensively. A combined about 37 half points per game, both of these guys shooting north of 43% from three-par range, and this is a UW-Milwaukee team that they've been having their sore spots on defense despite the fact that they have slowed things down. They're still about 330th in the country in terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage, and in their home game specifically, are allowing opponents to shoot north of 39% from three-point range. They're going to have a little bit of a tough time down low with A.J. Braun along with Brandon Noel combined for 13 rebounds, 23.5 points per contest, but don't necessarily have a lot of depth with Wright State for UW-Milwaukee. Eric Pratt has really become that go-to guy with B.J. Freeman. Deal with injury. Pratt comes in from Texas A&M and has now given the team 70-plus points in four of the team's last five games. Can turn the ball over a little bit, but has been a nice little elevator at 6-5. He's a nice, versatile player. You've had Marquise Browning along with some like a Kentrell Pullian be able to give you two and a half assists per game apiece. This uh, Milwaukee team has had a rough time shooting it from three, shooting just 30.7% from three-point range, but if there is a defense that's going to be able to help them out, it's right Sadu is 301st in the country in terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage. The one thing UW-Milwaukee has been able to do despite all the injuries is take care of the ball, about 11.5 turnovers per game. While right State, I think that they're going to be able to get their points. I do, for one, think that this is a number that has went a little bit too far because in regulation and regulation only because UW-Milwaukee has played a few games that have gone to overtime. This team has given up 75 points or fewer in far of their last five games, and Milwaukee, as I was alluding to, they are a little bit slower thus far this season, so this is a spot where I set my total more around 158. I'm going to be diving in on the under end. Anything north of four, going to be willing to take the points with UW-Milwaukee. 869-870 on the bang board. It is South Dakota State, and they're going to be playing us in North Dakota. North Dakota does find themselves as an underdog of 10 points. So the game between 144.5 and 145.5 with South Dakota State. I did set them as an 11.5 point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number as I do think that Zeke Mayo is going to be the best player in this game. Zeke Mayo, just a statute suffer for South Dakota that's able to give you 17 points, 6 boards, a little bit over 3 assists per game, and you just don't have that facilitation for North Dakota. Eli King has had to lead the way with about 2.5 assists per contest, and credit to North Dakota for making the most out of their possessions. They only turn the ball over about 11.5 times per contest, but they also shoot 30.9% from 3-point range. They do get a nice little bump from Tyree 
Ian Nacho, who began his career over at North Dakota, spent the last few years at James Madison being back in the fold. He was ineligible towards beginning part of the season due to being a two-time transfer, but now he is back out there. But really don't have a lot of rebounding with this team as you've got one guy in Mr. Amar Kulojovic who's been able to give you north of five rebounds per game. He's had six half boards per contest. So the Achilles heel of South Dakota State, the fact that they don't necessarily have that dominant player down low, it's not going to be unearthed. And for South Dakota State, they actually do a good job of rebounding by committee each other top five scores to give you at least 4.2 rebounds per game. We've got Charlie Easley, Luke Appel, who will be able to shoot north of 40% from three-point range. And it is a South Dakota State team that they're shooting less from three-point range than they have in past years, shooting about 35% from three-point range. But I do still think that's more than enough against a North Dakota team that they just have all sorts of warts and you've got all sorts of weaknesses in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. It is a North Dakota team that still ranks right around 224th in all of college basketball. I'm not saying that they're amazing or anything like that, but for South Dakota State. They still have been able to do a relatively solid job with Charlie Easley being able to give you about three seals per contest. They've done a better job of generating those turnovers. Now they have left themselves very open to giving up wide open threes, but North Dakota has proven that they are unable to hit these shots. They were held to 45 points a few nights ago against St. Thomas as well, so you've got some massive issues that are starting to percolate there, and for the South Dakota State team, it is a squad that, while they've been a little bit over the place in terms of their defense, they've been able to play a little bit more of it recently. They have given up 70 points or fewer, and now five out of their last seven games, and if you include just regulation and regulation only, six out of their last nine. So I do think that South Dakota State going to be able to hold up at the point of attack here. I do think that you still get plenty of points. Both of these teams still have been lackluster in terms of the defensive side of things, which is why I did so by 12, 151.5. We've seen South Dakota State just time and time again in conference play really turn it on with their three-point shooting, and I think that they're going to destroy a North Dakota team that really doesn't have a lot down low when it comes to North Dakota. I do think that this team can have a rough time guarding out there in Summit League play as I did set my line at 11.5. Going to be one lay with South Dakota State and looking at the over. 871-872 on the main board. Lindenwood is going to be playing us to Southern Indiana and Southern Indiana does find themselves as underdogs of 1.5 to 2 points. Your totals between 137.5 and 138. I did set Lindenwood as a favorite of 4 points. I'm going to be one to lay this number. When it comes to Lindenwood, they've been in quite a bit of transition figuratively and literally because they are a team that just two seasons ago they were at the Division 2 level, but I do feel like they've been able to figure it out a little bit more with their piece as well as Southern Indiana they have to overcome the fact that they lost each other top four scores from season ago. A.J. Smith has been rock solid with about nine and a half rebounds per game and should be the best rebounder in this game, but that said, he's the only player in this game that really gives you north of six rebounds per game. You've got nobody else on Southern Indiana that gives you north of 5.7 boards per contest, and for Southern Indiana... With them losing all their great three-point shooting from season ago, they've had to slow it down, and they still have been relatively inefficient, shooting 31.1% from three-point range among players averaging north of 4.1 points per contest. Got one guy that shoots above 32% from three-point range. That'd be the 44% outside shooting of Jack Melky, who's been able to do a solid job, giving you about nine points per contest. But for Lindenwood, do like what I've been seeing in Darius Bean in the backcourt. Not really too much of a facilitator. He leads the team with about 2.1 assists per contest, but has been able to give you a steal, 13 points per game. And then Keenan Cole's been able to do a nice job with about 17.5 points, six boards per contest. From there, you've got a lot of guys that they're just looking to make some valuable contributions with Southern Indiana. Not only are they really lacking with regards to their offense, but defensively, they've now given up 81-plus points in each other last three games against Division One opponents. While Lindenwood, they've actually risen up a little bit with their defense, giving up fewer than 70 points in three out of their last four games. If you're looking at the plateau of 76 points or fewer, they've now given up 76 points or fewer in pretty much all but... 
two of their last 10 games, so they've been able to do a much better job with that regard. It's a Southern Indiana team that does have someone that is able to give you 14 points per game in Jeremiah Hernandez, but has not been able to dial it up from distance. Lindenwood, I do think, is going to be able to do a solid job with that regard, and with the Southern Indiana team being one that gives up about 37% three-point shooting on the road, that should allow Lindenwood to knock down just enough shots to be able to get the job done. Set, did set Lindenwood as a four-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number, and did set my total at 142, while Lindenwood spent a little bit better defensively. A lot of it has come against lesser competition, and for Southern Indiana, I do think that they're going to be able to dial it up against the Lindenwood team as well, outside the top 225 in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, and they're allowing opponents to shoot 44.7% from three at home as well, so we're going to the over, and going to be willing to lay with Lindenwood. 873-874 on the betting board, it is Stanford playing us to Arizona, and Arizona does find themselves as 12.5 to 13-point favorites, and your total is between 160.5 and 161.5. I'm sick to my stomach the fact that I'm going to bet on a Jared as coach team, but I'm going to be willing to do it. I'm going to be willing to take the points with Sanford. The big trepidation that you got with Sanford, they rank about 202nd in the country in terms of opponent's three-point shooting percentage, and we know that Arizona is able to go into inferno mode. Arizona doing it on both sides of the ball. They're a top 25 team in terms of both points scored and points allowed on a per-possession basis. We've seen Caleb Bluff really be able to elevate this team and just be more efficient this year than he has been in past years. He had a little bit of a rough game against FAU, but still has been able to give you 17 points per game. Not the world's greatest three-point shooter, but I mean, he's been able to be a little bit more of a willing passer to guys like Appel Larson to Kylan Boswell. It's both of these guys shoot north of 40% from three-point range for Arizona. They're one of the most warp speed teams in all of college basketball, but Sanford, don't look now, but they're a top 60 team in terms of total possessions per game, and they've been relatively efficient because Jared Bynum has come in for Providence, 6.6 assists to 2.5 turnovers per game. You've got Maximine Radot, who's been a double-double machine for the team, 14.5 points, 9.5 boards per contest, so despite the fact that they've dealt with some injuries to Spencer Jones, they've been able to overcome that, and they did get Jones back in their last game against Arizona State. Looked like himself with 9 points, 4 boards, 4 assists, so you feel good about that as the Sanford team and as a whole, they shoot 35% from three-point range. Andre Stoyakovic doesn't really give you much outside of shooting, but he's able to shoot it well from three-point range. You've got a bunch of relatively solid weapons for a Stanford team that offensively, they've actually been just fine. It's really on the defensive side of things where you've got your issues in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. For Sanford, they are clocking in right in the neighborhood about 146, so you do have to hold your breath there, and you know that Umar Balo is certainly going to be able to get his down low with about 8.3 rebounds per game. has been a tremendous rim protector for an Arizona team that they do a nice job getting second and third chances. There's just really not much of a way to be able to shut down this Arizona offense. As Arizona has been held below 80 points just twice this far this year. They have not scored fewer than 74 points in any of their games thus far this campaign, but it is a Sanford team that they themselves have been able to get quite a bit going on offense. They've had two clunkers where they scored 60 points against San Diego State in that Northern Iowa game. I believe that they were held to 51. That was very much less than savory, but I mean, past that, the team has gotten to 73 plus on the regular. It is an Arizona defense that starting to get carved up a little bit as well. They've given up 74 plus points in each of the last four games, and last time Arizona gave up fewer than 73 points is back when they were facing off against a slow tempo Colgate team, so I do think that Sanford is going to be able to get theirs. I did set my total at a 164.5. I think that this is an up and down game, so we're going to add the over, and with Sanford, won't take anything north of 11 with them. 875-876 on the betting board. It is Southeast Missouri State. They play also more at State. More at State does find themselves as Nine and a half point favorites. Your total is between 144 and a half and 145. And with Morad State, I did set them as a favorite of six and a half points. So here are north of nine. I'm going to be willing to take the points with Southeast Missouri State. This team has been a complete nightmare this year with Philip Russell transferring out to UT Arlington.
Ellington, but reinforcements are on the way, and you've got Rob Martin, who's doing an amazing job of elevating this team. For Mr. Rob Martin, 12-plus points in four of the team's last five games, coming off of 29 big points in their overtime win against Southern Indiana, and now you've been able to get Mr. Branson back in the fold as well. Dylan Branson, last year, a big reason why the team made the NCAA tournament. 6-5 combo player that shot 34% from three, seven points, four and a half rebounds per game, returned for his first action in late December, and since he's come back, he's been able to give the team five boards, three assists per game. Not like a tremendous score or anything like that, but it's pop that the team needed as they're turning the ball for 13 and a half times for contest. They're only shooting about 31% from three-point range and deal with the injury to Kobe Clark down low. They just need some sort of rebounding because prior to Branson coming back in the fold, they didn't have anyone healthy that was giving them north of four boards for contest, which that really puts them up against it against Riley Minix, who's been a really nice non-D1 transfer for more, I'd say, 17 points, nine boards, doesn't necessarily shoot it well from three, but he's able to pop some threes, and that's been big with Morad State dealing with the injury to Mark Freeman that ended his season before it really began. It's a Morad State team that they do shoot 36% from three-point range, but the little things do elude them. They don't force a lot of turnovers. They turn the ball over themselves about 13 times for contest. They shoot about 68% at the free throw line as well, so you do have your issues there, and Morad State, once again, outside the top 250 in terms of total possessions per game, but even with that, they're about 248th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, so these Missouri State. They leave a lot to be desired as well. They're in 14th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, but giving up 14.2 points fewer per one hour possessions on the road rather than at home. And if they can shut down really your main two guards for this bunch, as you've been able to have Jordan Lathan along with Khalil Thomas combined for in that neighborhood about 26 points per contest for more at State, while Dylan Thelwell has been your main facilitator. I do think that there's going to be a little bit of brightness for a Southeast Missouri State team that it feels like they're finally getting healthy. They've been able to elevate with their offense, 80-plus points in four of their last five games. Meanwhile, you've got a more at State team that they on offense have been really all over the place. They've actually gotten to north of 80 points in four of their last five games as well, but they've been playing against a lot of non-D1 teams. I do think that this is going to be a bogged-down game. Southeast Missouri State, a top-10 team in terms of possessions per game a season ago. Far from that this season. So I did set my total at 138.5, diving in on the under, and anything north of 7 going to be one take the points with Southeast Missouri State. 877-878 on the main board. SIU Edwardsville plays us to Western Illinois. Western Illinois, a 5.5 to a 6-point underdog with your total between 133 and 133.5. And Did set my line at 6, so here to 5.5, I'm going to be one to lay it. Edwardsville was actually one of your better mid-major defenses in all of college basketball last year. Now they're well outside the top 275 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but they brought the fire on offense. 10 turnovers per game on 36% three-point shooting, while Shamar Wright has been able to give you 15 points per contest. Don't have a ton of rebounding for this team. Only one guy that gives you an earth of 4.5 boards per contest, but to Marco Minor, despite the fact that he's only six feet tall. How about him being able to supply about eight and a half rebounds per game? He's chipping in their 13 points per contest for an Edwardsville team that has still been able to get a little bit of pickpocketing going. Each of your top three scores have been able to give you at least a seal per contest. And for Western Illinois, they're going to look to control things from the inside. You've been able to get nine points and 12.2 rebounds per game out of Drew Cisse. That is the top five mark in terms of college basketball in terms of rebounds per game. But I was expecting a little bit more out of Quinlan Bennett and Josiah West. Both of these guys were key cogs for the team eight seasons ago. West last year was averaging about 10 points, 7.5 boards per contest. Down to about 8 points, 5 rebounds per game, and he's shooting 6.7% from 3-point range. Meanwhile, Quinlan Bennett, season ago, gave the team 9.5 points, 5.5 boards. He's down to about 6.5 points, 3.5 rebounds per game. Has been a little bit better in terms of being able to generate some steals, but clearly he's had to take a little bit of a backseat as well as it's become all about Mr. James Jen Jr. has been able to give you about 5 boards, 15 points per game for Western Illinois 
Illinois team that they're shooting 31% from three and 58.5% at the free throw line. That could easily determine this cover. It's a Western Illinois team that they were able to get it going for four straight wins, but they had two of those wins come against non-D1 teams. They have given up now 60 points or fewer in each other last four games. Again, against some really bad competition. If you want to go overall, they have now given up 71 points or fewer in each other last seven games, but I think they have played three, maybe four non-D1 teams. That really hypes up their numbers. Meanwhile, SIU Edwardsville, they've had a few of these games themselves, but They've been playing much more real competition. I do think that this is going to be a game that is going to be bogged down quite a bit, but you do have a Western Illinois team that, at their core, they do look to play a little bit more up-tempo. This is an Edwardsville team that's turned over a little bit more of a new leaf, playing much more of an offensive brand of basketball. So I did set my total 140, looking at the over, and with SIU Edwardsville, wanted to lay up to 5.5 points with them. A 79-880 on the betting board. It is Denver playing us Oral Roberts, and Oral Roberts is a 2-2.5 point underdog with your total 158.5. Set Oral Roberts as a 7.5 point favorite. I'm going to to be one, take them out right on the money line. Fully recognize that the Denver team has an amazing score in Tommy Bruner, who's been able to really light it up with north of 20 points per contest. He's a top five scorer in all of college basketball, and he does have some support as Teku Tanami has been able to do a solid job with about eight and a half rebounds, 18 points per game. He's got the versatility to be able to let it fly from three-point range. As Denver as a whole, they shoot about 35.5% from three, and to their credit, they only turn the ball over about 9.3 times per contest. If you're looking nationally in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis, this is only against Division One teams, but Denver is 43rd in the country, and they do supply about 19.5 points more per one hour possessions when they are at home rather than on the road. And this is not your traditional Oral Roberts team. Oral Roberts right around 218th in the country with this regard, but Oral Roberts still a relatively put-together team in terms of their defense. Not quite where they were a season ago when they were able to make the NCAA tournament, but they are able to generate some turnovers. And this is a Denver team outside of Tanami. You don't necessarily have a ton of rebounding. You've had Jackson Brenchley come in from Utah, giving you about three assists, nine points per contest as well. But I do think that Oral Roberts going to be able to hold in there because while they're relatively slow, while they're relatively controlled on offense, they still have each other top three scores, shooting at least 36.8% from three-point range. They've got all but one of their top nine scores shooting at least 36.8% from three-point range with Deshung Weaver, gives you 11 points, four and a half rebounds per game. The lone exception at about 32.5% from three-point range. And Oral Roberts also doesn't hurt themselves. Only about 9.4 turnovers per game. I do think that Oral Roberts, their 5-7 and seven record is a little bit of a byproduct product of the fact that they did have to challenge themselves outside the conference playing against the likes of Texas Tech, Oklahoma State, Texas A&M, Kansas State. They actually took Kansas State to overtime as well, while Denver, they were playing against some cream puff teams. That's something that does stand out. And for Denver, while their offense is amazing, their defense has given up 80-plus points in four out of their last five games. And if you're just taking a look at the amount of points allowed on a per-possession basis, this is a bunch of... Well, they have not really been able to get it going with that regard. Denver, 324th in the country with that regard. Not a team that's really going to be able to force a lot of steals. Oral Roberts, they have been up and down in terms of their defense as well, but it does feel like the offense is getting a little bit more online as it's a squad that has been able to exceed the 70-point plateau and now five out of their last seven games. I do think that Oral Roberts gets the job done. I do think that the overall versatility and having everyone on the floor being able to shoot threes is going to be too much for Denver to overcome, so I did set Oral Roberts as a seven and a half point favorite, going to be one to lay the number in with Oral Roberts. Really taking on a new approach. Or outside the top 200 in terms of total possessions per game, I do think that things get bogged down from a tempo perspective. So my total 155 and a half, diving under, and going to be taking Oral Roberts outright on the money line.
line is an underdog. 881, 882 on the betting board. Utah is going to be playing against Washington. Washington does find themselves as an underdog of eight points in your total between 151.5 and 152.5 with Washington. I did set them as an underdog of seven and a half points. Eight or more, that's my buy point with them. With Washington, you've had Keon Brooks do a nice job elevating this team with 20 plus points per contest. You know, he says a nice job in terms of rebounding, but now he's got a lot more help from his friends as you bring in Paul Mukehi from Rutgers and he doesn't necessarily score a lot. He gives you between about seven to eight points per game, but guy's just an absolute sad cheat suffer. 4.7 assists, four rebounds, shoots 37% from three range. The biggest issue that you do have with this Washington team, the turnovers of Xavier Wheeler. While he does give out seven assists per game, three and a half turnovers is a little bit unsightly, especially when you shoot 19% from three-point range, but but they have Moses Wood, coupled with Corin Johnson, combined for about 21 and a half points per contest. Johnson is shooting about 36% from three-point range, and Washington has really bumped up their tempo. They're a top 45 team. In terms of total possessions per game, you've got on the flip side a bunch in Utah that they're playing at more of a middle tempo pace and for Utah, offense has been much more consistent than it was eight seasons ago. The defense has had a little bit of a slide, though, as now they're about 49th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, so a big home court advantage. They are giving up 22 points fewer per 100 possessions, fewer when they are at home rather than when they are on the road. This is a Washington team that, in terms of their points allowed on a per-possession basis, it's more around 105th, and they've been dealing with an injury to a front and kept a dog, so that should allow Brandon Carlson to have his way down low a little bit more. True 7-footer that gives you 17 points, 6 half boards, and at 7 feet tall, he shoots about 38% from 3-part range for only Worcester. So we'll give you about six half assists per game as well. And they do go up against a Washington team that really doesn't generate a lot of turnovers. Utah has been turning the ball over about 12 times for contest, so that should help them out a little bit. But Washington has enough bodies to be a matchup with this Utah team. It is a Washington bunch that has been able to do a much better job defensively as well. They've given up 73 points or fewer, and now four out of their last five games, with the lone exception being that double overtime thriller that they played against Seattle. That was a game where it was 80-80 going into overtime, so still would have went over anyway, but that said, you do have a Utah team fighting their footing as well, giving up 70 points or fewer in each other last four games, but keep in mind, they had a nip-and-tuck game where they knocked off Southern Utah at home by just two points, coming off of a nice win against Washington State. I do think that a more versatile Washington team going to be able to hold in there. I did set my line at 7.5. Going to be one take 8 with Washington. And I did set my total at 153.5. With the way that Washington has bumped up their tempo, Utah certainly has not been playing slowly as well. So looking at the over and going to be one take the points with Washington. This is the last game on the normal Las Vegas betting more before we hit the extra games. 8.83, 8.84. Cal is going to be playing against Arizona State. Arizona State, an underdog of two points. And your total on this game is 148.5. And I said Arizona State as a one-point favorite. I'm going to be one to ride with them outright on the money line. It is an Arizona State team that certainly has their offensive woes. They are outside the top 275 in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis, but be able to get a little bit more of the team offensively, and they could turn defense into offense. And by then, I mean you've got Frankie Collins, who's done a tremendous job generating about three seals per contest, five and a half boards, three and a half assists, 12 and a half points per game. Now they've got Adam Miller back in the fold, who's never been an efficient scorer, to say the least, but he does, at the very least, give this team some scoring. You've got an Arizona State team that does a good job as a collective on the glass, a top 80 team in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, and Cal's just getting absolutely cooked with regards to their defense. Cal, well outside the top 225 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, despite the fact that you do have Fardos. Amick was been able to give you a double-double. He's been able to do a nice job with about 10 boards, shipping in there about 16.5 points per game, and I do like the game of Jalen Tyson, who now they've been bringing off the bench a little bit as well. That's been a weird dynamic, 19.5 points, 7.5 boards, and 
for Cal. They got reinforcements back. Jalen Celestine, Devin Askew, they were missing due to injury, but even though the offense has been better, ever since they've been back, this defense has really not been able to perform very well. Keontae Kennedy has been able to elevate the seam a little bit as well, but speaking to the point of the defense, this is a Cal team that's now given up 88 plus points, three of their last four games, lone exception was against UC San Diego. While the team has actually been able to do a relatively nice job of being able to put the ball in the basket for Cal, they've now gotten to at least 71 points in each of their last five games and in seven out of their last eight games. They leave much to be desired with regards to the defensive side of things. And now you go up against a Arizona State team that they are coming off of a nice road win against Stanford where they were able to come back. It is an Arizona State team that they play at a brisk pace despite the fact that they're relatively solid on defense. They are willing to push the tempo and they have been giving up a little bit more recently. They've given up at least 73 points in now four out of their last five games. So you do have your trepidation there, but I do think that with having someone like a Alonzo Gaffney as a nice rim protector down low with being able to have Jose Perez get some more reps feel a little bit more comfortable with the offense Arizona State going to take it to a Cal team that is clearly a work in progress going to be willing to ride with Arizona State I'll ride on the money line made them a one point favorite and did something to all 139 I do think that Arizona State swagger comes back on defense and Arizona State still has been having a rough time on offense even with Adam Miller back in the fold so diving in on the under and looking at Arizona State I'll ride on the money line now let's hit the extra games the normal betting board pick are complete, but there are some extra games today, so we go into the bonus. This will be the DK Network write-up. 306 631 306-632. It is Iowa State. They play us in New Hampshire. New Hampshire is a 26.5 to a 27-point underdog. So it's between 149.5 and 115.5. I might be stepping into a hornet's nest and making a stupid play, but my write-up is going to be taking the points with New Hampshire. I say that I might be stepping into a hornet's nest because Iowa State has been a favorite of at least 14 points eight times thus far this season. They are eight no against the spread. Reason why I think that this is going to be a little bit different though is that New Hampshire has done a really good job of shutting down the three-point arc. As a matter of fact, on the road, opponents are shooting 27.9% from three-point range against them. Overall, this team is 15th in the country in terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage. And each of New Hampshire's top five scores, they shoot at least 35.5% from three-point range. And that's really been the one weak point for this Iowa State team. That has been awesome. Number two in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. But I feel like they've been propped up a little bit by the fact that they have played against some of the worst competition that you're going to find in all of college basketball. Playing against UW-Green Bay, playing against Idaho State, that has really amplified their numbers a little bit. It is an Iowa State team that as well. You take a look at their three-point shooting splits as they're 25th in the country in terms of three-point shooting percentage. They shoot 45.2% from three at home, 27.1% on the road. Go figure who they played on the road slash in a neutral court environment. Yeah, actual good teams at being able to guard the three-point arc. So, while it is great that a team on Lisby has been able to give you 15 points, six boards, six assists, three and a half seals per game, and there's nobody on New Hampshire that can hold a candle to that. I do think that the offensive numbers are going to be coming down a little bit. Iowa State is still going to be able to force some turnovers as well, but New Hampshire has done a good job of being able to protect the ball. 44th in the country in terms of turnovers committed on a per-possession basis. They're looking to play much more up-tempo. They're now in the top 75 in terms of total possessions per game. And Clarence Daniels, coupled with Ahmad Robinson. These two guys are combining for about 36 points per contest. Robinson is shooting 45.5% for three-point range. Between the two of them, you've also been able to get about three steals per contest as well. It is a Iowa State team that should be able to do a relatively solid job down low. New Hampshire doesn't have ideal size, but it's not like Iowa State is some sort of a menace down low. Trey King has been able to give you about five and a half rebounds per game. Been able to get about five boards per contest out of Robert Jones as well. You've been able to get good production from three-point range out of Milan Mimo Silovic, who's been able to shoot right in the neighborhood of about 40 
44% from three-point range, but with Iowa State, I do feel like this number has gone a little bit too far, like the way the New Hampshire's been able to play. They played within 20 against UConn as well. This is a bunch as 8-4 coming off of a nice road win against Rhode Island, and for Iowa State, they've been able to cover a lot of these big numbers. These teams just have not been able to guard the arc the way that New Hampshire has, so that should cause for a little bit more competition. I did set my total at 144.5. I do think that this is still going to be a little bit more of a defense-oriented game, so my DK Network right at pick that is going to be taking the points with New Hampshire, but coupled with that, also going to be going in on the under. 306-633, 306-634. Oklahoma State plays us to South Carolina State, and South Carolina State does find themselves as 22.5 to 23.5 point underdogs. Totals between 145.5 and 146.5, and South Carolina State did set them as 19.5 point underdogs. I'm going to be one to take the points with Oklahoma State. This team has just been not one that you've wanted to back this far this season. As for Oklahoma State, Javon Small has come up very big for the team. Chad Sheet Stuffer has been able to give you about five assists, five boards, 16 points per game on 44% three-point shooting, but what are you getting outside of him? You've been able to have about six rebounds per game out of the Daily Show, Eric Daly Jr., and the team is out shooting 37% from three-point range for the longest of times. The biggest issue that you did have with Oklahoma State was their three-point shooting, but they don't have as much down low without the likes of Musa Cisse and company. Oklahoma State still right around about 52nd in the country in terms of points a lot on a per-possession base but they're actually giving up a point and a half more per one hundred possessions at home rather than on the road. And for South Carolina State, they're still going to lose the battle on the glass, but Davion Everett along with Caleb McCarty, they've been able to combine for about 12 rebounds per contest. It's a South Carolina State team that they do turn the ball over about 15 and a half times per game. That is a big time issue, but Oklahoma State really doesn't force a lot of ball pressure. So an Oklahoma State team has given up 70 points or fewer in each of their last four games, but I do have a little bit of a fear in terms of this offense really being able to ignite against a South Carolina State team that they do play super duper Profess. Oklahoma State, they're still going to be able to get theirs. I do think that there's going to be a little bit of regression with their 37% three-point shooting end. For South Carolina State, the offense has actually been a little bit better for them recently as they have gotten to now at least 75 points in three out of their last five games and if you're looking at north of 70 points four out of their last six. So I do think that South Carolina State can hold in there for Oklahoma State. I do think that they're going to play a little bit more of their grinder style. So I did set my total at 145.5 here at a 146.5. Going to be diving in on the under, but with South Carolina State, I'm going to be willing to take the points. So you're at 6635, Mississippi State is going to be playing as a Bethune Cookman. Cookman, a 27.5 to a 28 point underdog. Totals between 140 and a half and 141. Did tell my total 135 and a half going under Mississippi State. Still a top 15 team in the country. Turns points a lot on a per possession basis. Still a team that ranks outside the top 175 in terms of total possessions per game as well. Going up against a Bethune Cookman team that they actually do a relatively solid job of being able to generate some steals, which is why I did set my line at 25 and a half. I'm going to be willing to take the points with Bethune Cookman. You do have two guys in the backcourt. They're doing a nice job. And Zion Harmon along Jacoby Headley. These guys have combined for 29 and a half points per contest. It is a Bethune-Cookman team that only shoots about 28.5% from three-point range, but 13.3 steals per game, and Damani McIntyre is averaging 3.3 points and 3.2 steals per contest. So, while Bethune-Cookman may give up some wide-open looks if they don't generate a turnover, when they do generate turnovers, this can be a pretty lethal defense, and they go up against a Mississippi State team that's not necessarily the world's greatest on offense. They're turning the ball over about 12 and a half times for contest while shooting 30 and a half percent from three. Marked improvement from a season ago thanks to Josh Hubbard coming in as a freshman, elevating this offense with about 14 and a half points on 39 percent three-point shooting. And then you've been able to get about 37 percent three-point shooting out of Shaquille Moore as well. He's been a nice asset for the team, but they're still without Tolu Smith. They've been dealing with Trey Fort being in and out of the fold due to injuries. The team is so good to be able to decimate on the glass with DJ Jeffries chipping in their six and a half boards. Jimmy Bell Jr., 9.5 points, 9.5 boards, 1.3 blocks per contest, but 
for Bethune-Cookman. I do think that from the outside, this team is going to have a little bit of success. I think that this game turns very much into Sloppy Joes, and though Mississippi State is going to get some wide open looks, I don't know if they knock them down to be able to cover this big of a number. I did set my total at a 135.5 as a result, diving in on the under. With Mississippi State, could only set them as a 25.5 point favorite, so taking the points with Cookman and the under. 306-637-306-638. Ole Miss plays also Bryant. Bryant is a 13 to a 13.5 point underdog with your total between 115.5 at 151.5. I did set Ole Miss as a 14.5 point favorite but I'm going to be willing to lay the number. It's an Ole Miss team that's presently undefeated, and for Brian, feels like this team has been a little bit of a hodgepodge thus far this season. You do like the fact that Earl Timberlake has been able to bring Sexy back. He's doing a nice job down low, piling up 8.5 rebounds, 12.5 points per game, also giving up 4.5 assists per game, so good versatility there, but Ole Miss has really been able to go bombs away from 3-par inch at 40.7% from the outside. Matthew Morrell has been your main man, 17 points, 3 assists, 2.3 seals on 41% 3-point shooting. It is a Brian team that they don't necessarily have a ton down low, and with them not having a lot of size, they now have to go up against Giants of the Earth in Jamarian Sharp, along with Musa Cisse. Cisse just has been eased back into the lineup. He hasn't really given you a whole lot of lot, while Sharp, he's given you about three blocks per contest. That's an issue. To the credit of Brian, they are a top 75 team in the country in terms of opponent's three-point shooting percentage, and I do think that Ole Miss, whether or not they're going up against a good defense, they're going to cool off a little bit from three-point range. I do think that Brian, with Rafael Pinzone shooting 38.5% from three, 12 and a half points per contest. They're going to cool off a little bit as well. Ole Miss has been able to do a relatively solid job in their own right of being able to just D up in general when they're down low. They're able to get those block shots. Meanwhile, along the perimeter, they have been able to do a relatively okay job of being able to guard the three-point arc as well. Ole Miss ranks 40th in the country in terms of opponent's three-point shooting percentage as well. This is a Chris Beard-led team, so you do know that they're going to be able to bear down with that regard. So as a result, did some my total 146 F. Fully recognize that both of these teams have had some recent triumphs with regards to their offense, especially Bryant being able to get to at least 75 points in three out of their last four games. But one of those games was a byproduct of double overtime. Meanwhile, you've got an Ole Miss team that, despite the fact that the offense has been rock solid, the defense has outgiven up 68 points or fewer in three of their last five games as well. So I do think that things get bogged down. Both of these teams see some shooting regression. So diving in on the under with Ole Miss, want to lay up to 14 points with them. We're going things up with 3 of 6, 6, 39, 3 of 6, 6, 40. And JIT plays also Morgan State. Morgan State is a three and a half to a four point underdog with your total between 152 and 154. I did sub Morgan State as a underdog of three points. So you're at the three and a half to four. I'm going to be willing to take the points. It is a Morgan State team that's been dealing with quite a few ailments. They were hoping to have out there on the floor quite a few nice transfers as they were getting some nice production when he was out there out of Winston Tabs, who was over at Boston College beginning his career, but it's averaging 16 points per contest before he went down. Miles Thompson, a starter over at St. Francis of PA two seasons ago, was logging about 10 points, four and a half rebounds per game, but we still have a pair of guys like looking Cameron Hobbs along with Will Thomas combined for about 20 and a half points per contest, and Hobbs does shoot 40 and a half percent from three-point range, and you get to go up against an NJIT team that it's not like they're necessarily doing a world's tremendous job on defense either, as NJIT, in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, 346. Morgan State, they're 357, so misery loves company with this regard. NJIT does bring over Elijah Buchanan, who's been a nice double-figure scorer coming over from Manhattan. He followed the associate head coach slash the interim head coach from the season to go over to NJIT and the new coaching staff, but NJIT, they're allowing opponents to shoot 39% from three, 
350th in all of college basketball. Morgan State, 339th in this category. So I do think that there's going to be a lot of open looks. But Morgan State not playing as quickly as they did a season ago. Last year, they were a top 20 team in terms of total possessions per game. Now they're more in that 75 to 80-ish range as they've been embracing a little bit more rebounding. And they get to go up against an NJIT team that doesn't have a single guy that gives you north of 4.8 rebounds per game. As Adam has decided to do it all 13 points, 4.8 rebounds per game. When Buchanan's been out there, he's been able to give you about six boards per contest. But now he's been dealing with a few injuries as well, so that does cause a little bit of pause there. Miss your last game against a 91 team. I think that that was a little bit more precautionary, but do have to take that into account a little bit. It's an NJIT team that they only turned the ball over about 12 and a half times per contest, but maybe deal with a lot of guys that have been in and out of the fold, a lot of guys down low that just have not been able to materialize as well. So I do think that Morgan State is going to be able to hold in there, and I do think that a pair of teams that have been sloppy in terms of taking care of the ball and a pair of teams that are not necessarily playing as up-tempo as they have in past years are going to lead to a little bit of a more eyesore sort of a game, 7 by 12 145 diving in on the under end with NJIT. Can I make them a three-point favorite? So, we'll take north of three with Morgan State, and now we'll wrap things up for the Sunday edition of Coast to Coast Deep South, part of the Visa and Family Podcast. Big thanks to Mid-Major Matt over at FDM Bets for joining me in the last segment. If you do like hearing from this fine podcast, Coast to Coast Deep, you're able to subscribe wherever your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, do have one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter slash X timeline at gnn underscore d1. Keep in mind, letters it does not matter as per usual. Please do send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And from there, you're able to fire on whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast. I that five star review, and I'll be coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season. That means I'm coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth that no matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can be all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you and you're able to learn more over at BetterHelp.com. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com. Turns out a delightfully clean home can make for a delightful start to the day. At Mrs. Myers, everything they make is inspired by the garden. With plant-derived and other thoughtfully chosen ingredients, their cleaning products smell like a dream and work like the Dickens, leaving your home sparkly clean and your to-do list tackled in no time. Goodness, there's no better feeling than that. Mrs. Myers, rooted in goodness. Visit mrsmyers.com today.